Sherman Oaks, Sherman Oaks, Sherman Oaks, and Sacramento, California. We are Cinemania for the Four Horsemen. This is the Four Horsemen episode. What's up, guys? Uh, We've been talking for like an hour. I'm not going to pretend we haven't been. Technical difficulties, but we're persisting on with our Amelie spirit. Let me introduce you guys to the film reporters. We got the technical advisor, the editor-in-chief, the promising young star coming out of uh, Sherman Oaks to one day become the dungeon master of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, oh with God. an MA in, in a fucking TV and film, Mr. Chris Covira, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God, I'm so hot right now. It's so ah. hot. And oh that's Chris's intro. Let me uh, also introduce you guys to Mr. Sundrop himself. He is a model of all models. He is a actor. He is a photography student. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Mann. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, I'm super excited for this month. This is the first time we're going to be using the new ranking system. So that is going to be amazing. It's going to add a lot more dynamics to how we see these films. And the king without a crown, he's the seventh member of the Jackson Five. He's a writer, an actor. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Paul Jackson. Hello, and how are you? It's great to be here. And uh, thank you, Mr. Courtney, for my crown. <laughs> I can now be king for a day. Oh my God. And I am Yoshi. This month, I fell in love with a fictional character. I witnessed a rather opaque shade of hell on Earth, and I discovered a masterpiece example of how to thrust an audience into an ongoing story. I'm excited. This is Cinemania 4. We have five films to discuss. Let me briefly tell you guys how it works. Aaron touched on it already, and it is true. We, are a, we have been developing a new ranking system, and we are putting it to use for the first time on this episode. Previously, we would rank films one through five and crown a champion that way. We're not really getting rid of that, but we're sort of adding to it. What we're going to do is with every individual film that we watch, we'll give it a personal ranking, 0 through 10, 10 being the perfect film, 0 being the worst piece of garbage you've ever seen, and then we will find the mean average of... (laughs) Careful, run, not a run. Um, uh, We will find the mean average of those four personal rankings, and that will be the final official CineScore assigned to that film, which will be nestled beautifully on our website, which is currently in construction. So, before we get started, Chris, tell the people, who won Cinemania in the month of June? 
Well, much like a screenwriter, rather than telling you, I'm just going to show you. God, that felt good. That was good. Being John Malkovich was the champion of June, and here we are in July, about to crown our fourth ever champion. Let's get started, shall we? To the spinning wheel of Doth, let's find out what the first film of, of uh, in discussion will be. Let us do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Very nice. Cuarenta cinco años. Cuarenta cinco años. Colempi, what? <laughs> All right, do we go there yet, or do you got to get the link up? I uh, The link is up. First, going Chris to... is going to play the little video. I am going to play the video. Play Thank the you, video. Yoshi. All right. 45 years, 2015. Andrew High, United Kingdom. What is it? A letter. Yes, I know, but from? It's in German. Yeah. What's it say? Well, I can't remember the verbs as well as the nouns, but, but I think it says they found her. And who? Uh, her body, anyway. God, who? Jeff? They found Katya. Boom, boom. And we're back. Right. 45 years. Okay, guys, let's put our new ranking system to the test for the very first time. Mm -hmm. um, we are using a website called Swift Polling. Um, yeah. Create. There you are. Ooh, Aaron went first and jumped the gun. Aaron. Yes. It in there. Oh, there we go. All right. All right. Aaron okay. with a 6.5. Woo. Okay. Paul, whenever you're ready, let's get yours in there. All right. There we go. 8.5. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, I'll go. I was going to say, who wants to go first? Lots of point fives. Seven point five. And I guess I'll go last. That's my uh, that's my role right now. Uh, there we go. A seven point nine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's find out what the final Cinescore is for forty five years. Well, we shall see in just a. Just a tiny minute. That's really cool. Somewhere around seven five. Yeah. Fifteen right. four. 
Yeah, it's going to be like it's going to be like seven thirty point four divided by four is. Uh, Let's throw this right here. Seven point so six. Can see. So we are. So right now we are seven point six. I think. Well, you know, you guys can Which do math is, a lot quicker than I can. Oh no, it's all good. But I think. Uh, yeah. So. Which is probably about right. I think, uh, Divided by four is seven point six. Four. We we're not seeing anything on the on the screen though, Chris. Oh well. I now. do like that. <laughs> seven point six. <laughs> okay, so there seven point six. Very good. Okay, guys. Um, cool. So, forty-five years, man. Director Andrew Hay. Um, Chris, do you have a synopsis for us? I do. Uh, the synopsis for 45 years is uh, when a man who has been married to his wife for 45 years gets an unexpected letter from the Swiss Alps saying that his lover, we don't know how long ago, we don't know how much they had in contact, but it definitely affects him to the point where on the eve of his 45th anniversary, uh, it causes strife within his life. Uh, his wife finds that he still loves this woman, even though that she's been gone for almost 50 years. Uh, 45 years tells the story of these two couple, this two couples or this one couple. Wow. Uh, as they kind of learn with the, the process of history and the, the digging up of old feelings comes with that. Well said, um, Paul, let's start with you. Um, sure. you rank this film in 8.5. Um, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, that's what tell I, yeah, tell us about your experience watching this film. Yeah, I think if I've got the numbers right, I think this fell into that kind of where it, where it wound up with the aggregate scores about right. I think uh, I thought it was a little bit higher than an eight, um, but like an eight, eight, five, as we kind of navigate the, the rankings. And I'm sure as this, this continues on. But yeah, for me, it was, uh, you know, um, uh, a wonderful film. I've read the short story. Uh, David Constantine is a brilliant writer, um, and he is somebody uh, who found his place as an author uh, late in life. He has written, I think he started in his 40s, um, and um, so it's just, I think he captured uh, in in the short story, which runs a little differently, obviously, than the movie. We've got a uh, you know, uh, add a little bit, uh, and sort of nuance the performances. Um, but yeah, I thought this, uh, story was in the hands of two really gifted, uh, actors, both of whom have, uh, disappeared into roles that they've done over their youth. Um, and if there was maybe a moment that, uh, I think there probably was, uh, I'd be curious to hear from Aaron if, if at some point, um, uh, you know, Mr. Mercer came across as trying to figure out if he was uh, uh, somewhere in dementia or somewhere in reality. And Tom Courtney just finds a way to sort of disappear at times in roles that I've seen him in over the years. And maybe that's why he hasn't been generally popular. Um, are you So are you familiar with uh, Charlotte Rampling and, and Tom Courtney? Yeah, if she's uh, she. She's been in some great movies. Um, she looked familiar to me, but I can't really place. Uh, I'm trying to think from. what she's done more recently. The the one with the, um, she plays the innkeeper. Um, 
uh, there's a little French it's girl okay. and she's watching over. Yeah, whatever it is, I can't remember. I'll, it'll so, come to me. But but for I think for many people, seeing her, uh, you know, bef- you know, sort of before a lot of us were born, uh, she kind of made her mark. You know, in some sort of avant-garde movies. Uh, you know, Night Porter. Um, she kind of throws herself into things. She is not afraid to put herself out there. I know she, uh, in Melancholia, she was pretty out there. Um, you know, uh, Lars von Trier. So she is... Uh, is she the sister? Yeah. Of- right, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Of Kirsten Dunn's sister? Yes. Or maybe no, 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 no. Older. Um, she's, yeah, maybe uh, the mom or something. Mom, the mom, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Um, so this yeah, is so based I, on a sh- on a short story. I didn't know yeah, that. Based on a short story, which is definitely worth a read. It's um because the the short story plays out with him in the attic night after night after night, mm. and it's mm. like oh my god. And she hears that you know the creaking from the bedroom. Um, but I, I think this uh, this this movie really hit the mark uh, for me. This is a reality. Uh, these are realities that play out in. Uh, I think uh, sometimes they're surfaced in a psychiatrist's office or psychologist's office. Sometimes they're just deep, dark secrets that uh, uh, people hold on to. I guess uh, it hit me personally. It's probably why I I pushed it over the eight mark, I guess, uh, at present, kind of going through a heuristic myself to uh, navigate my life um, because things like uh, maybe not so much a regret, but you get a remembrance at just a weird time. This one, of course, was prompted by a letter. Um, so I love this, like how I couldn't figure out if, like, if the character had dementia or like little aphasia, and like he was. No, I, I know that I've told you all of this, and um, and I didn't know if he was. He had kept this secret so deep inside of him that it had caused this uh, forgetfulness, which I could relate to too. And I'm sure as adept as he is, that was probably a choice that he made this, the, the character, it, it, you won't be able to put your finger on what my character has, but I have, I have buried deep within me this secret that this long lost love is still informing me today, is still a part of my life today. Um, she is a, you know, I'll go through periods myself where I get a remembrance, but then this might be more than just a remembrance. This might be just like how it seemed to play out in the movie where I've, I have found a doppelganger that I will now marry. Yeah. And, uh, so, so my uh, life forward. yeah, go ahead. Let me pose this question to the group and anybody can answer it. Um, in although you sort of just answered it a bit there, Paul watching this film did, did you guys feel like, you know, obviously the show is a spoiler alert. So, at the end of the film, there's a say, there's a moment where, you know, there's a, a 45 year anniversary um, party for this couple, and um, Tom Cordenay's uh, character has to give a speech, and it's sort of in the speech that uh, Charlotte Rambling's character um, kind of comes to the reality that this man that she spent 45 years with, who you know, she considered to be her soulmate um, might in fact have been sort of lying the whole time as far as to the hierarchy of love uh, that he holds in his life, that she might be number two and not number one. Did you guys feel that she maybe 
was overreacting and that maybe Tom Courtney's character was just having a natural, you know, reaction to finding out that someone he loved in his past had, had died and it was bringing up all these memories from his past? Or do you think that what it really was, was that she was feeling what betrayal and, and rightfully so. I mean, Dante considered betrayal the last ring of hell um, and rightfully so, I think, because betrayal leads to, well, you thought you knew who they were and you didn't, which means you don't know who you are. Um, and so you can't trust any of your memories with that person which means what about the future? And so essentially that's why Dante, I think, considered betrayal the last ring of hell because it's, it's one of the worst variations of chaos you can, you can kind of find yourself in because all of a sudden the world that you had a meaning for no longer has meaning because you don't know what's what anymore. So what, did, you guys, did you guys see it that way? Did you guys see her you know, realization of this betrayal to be... Um, Founded in reality, or do you, did you see that she was sort of overreacting? No, I, I think so. Uh, this this thing, that, and this, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the party because that entire was it day or two days that he actually loved her in that way. It's called love bombing. It's it's right after you're caught out, right after you're, you 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 do something that's wrong, you immediately shower the person who you wronged with love. And it's not real. It's you're just trying to get things back to normal. You're trying to shut them up, and you can tell that she notices that. And you, you, her friend—I don't remember the actress's name—but her friend that just like, oh, you watch, he's gonna cry. Oh, you watch, everything's gonna be all right. He's he's gonna forget all about this. It's a it's an act. He's not changed. He's just doing it to keep her around because they've they've fallen into this this pit of uh, of not nuance of, of repetition and of comfort and of everything else. He doesn't, he doesn't love her as much as he loved Katya. No, right. He just wants to keep, her I around. think, yeah, I think you're yeah. right. And I, and I think, sorry. Yeah, no, you, you've got this. Uh, and I'm sure that, uh, obviously there's a symbolic parallel that, uh, something after many, many years has thawed mm-hmm. in, uh, in a glacier in the Alps and, um, perhaps he, you know, he, uh, in, in the parallel in his own marriage is that he's been frozen, you know, his, uh, his wife has been frozen into second place. And now it's revealed, uh, through a letter from the Swiss authorities that uh, his true love has been discovered, which of course forces him to, you know, he, and, you know, in some degree melts. And, uh, so the registration for me was like, oh yeah, this guy's a, he's lying. And, uh, and this is what this has been a part of his life forever, and it's finally caught him. Uh, two things happened happening simultaneously. I didn't I didn't make that analogy on my own, Paul. That's really interesting. The thawing. It's almost like the reason why that that love for her persists is because it was actually frozen in time, and it wasn't. And now that she's now that her body's been found, it's sort of it's like returning. The love is continuing from where it was when he, when he lost her because it was frozen in time. And now that it's thawed out, he's feeling it again. Whereas his, his wife, he had to endure 45 years, that arc of, of love with her. So, so there's a staleness to it. Um, I think, uh, Chris, the scene that confirms what you were saying that it was a love bomb was the scene where he's making love to her 
Mm-hmm. And his eyes are closed and he's hard and he's successfully making love to her. And then she asks him to open his eyes. And as soon as they make eye contact, he goes soft. I mean, if you need any kind of confirmation that the love's not really there for him anymore, it's that. I mean, that is hell on earth right there. Spending 45 years with someone who you thought, you know, was your partner only to on your, on the 45th anniversary, realize that it's all to some degree a mirage. Aaron, um, Let's get into sort of the personal, uh, the personal viewing of this film. We're sort of, we've been talking about the, the details of the story. How was the experience for you watching this film? It just didn't really work for you? Yeah, I mean, let me jump in here because I'm actually on the other side of this where I disagree. I think this was a, an overreaction on her part. Really? I think, hmm. yeah, I think this is like the story of, you know, his past love. You know, it all comes swarming back and it's very real and he's brought back to all these memories and he goes into his attic and he kind of relives these things and kind of mourns his, you know, her death. And you guys caught that she was pregnant, too, with his kid, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's different layers here. And I just feel, you know, this film kind of felt pushy to me. It was like, really, would she really be that upset or would she have a little more understanding like, Hey, I'm, you know, this is, I have compassion for the love you had with this woman. And I have compassion for the way you experienced her death. I mean, this is a very, uh, sensitive moment. 45 years of lying about it, but it's not, it's not, it's not a terrible idea, Aaron, because I think what you're proposing here is that if she had maybe shown this compassion, instead of reacting the way she did, very knee-jerky, maybe that would have been what he needed to sort of get rid of this fantasy that he was holding yeah. on to. And I realize like that he- yeah, you're right, though. It's a, it's a fantasy. He's kind of like brought back. It's almost like a PTSD kind of moment where this was such a traumatic moment in his life. And if you guys know anything about PTSD, you, your brain uh, goes into a cycle where it, it deletes that event. Or like it tries to kind of cover up the event. And maybe this was just something he couldn't deal with with his wife and didn't really want to bring her into this complete other reality, which on his part is the mistake because it came back to kind of haunt him. Um, But I also think it really, I think this story called for, I mean, just in a realistic sense for me, it would have been more compassionate, you know, to say, hey, I realize this is bringing up some emotions. You know, you really love this woman. You were going to have a kid with her. You don't have to hide this from me. Like, let's talk about this. Like, let's work through this. But instead, he's hiding in the attic. She's kind of stomping around the house and making this drama out of really nothing. It's like, hey, why don't you talk to your husband and say what I just said? You know, it's like, I realized this was a big part of your life and you hid it from me, which is not okay. But I want you to know this is a safe space where we can talk about this because it's not realistic to say, oh, you just loved one person your whole life or you were just in one relationship. Like, come on, that's just, you know. I think, I think that that's an important perspective to bring up to balance out the, the conversation. I, I would push back a little bit saying that she overreacted. I think there was just an overall lack of communication going on for someone, for, for being together for 45 years. You would hope yeah. that you guys have, would be able to be a little more honest and precise in your speech to each other. I think that that's what was lacking from the relationship. Um, I think I, that's what made it real. I just, I don't want to endow this movie with some sort of John Bradshaw slash Tony Robbins slash, 
you know, Nancy <laughs> DeAngelis, Barbara, whatever, Barbara DeAngelis, you know, some sort of, you know. We don't uh, understand any of the right, references you made. I mean, I, all these, <laughs> I mean, what were these, you know, all these relationship counselors, I don't even know who the new ones are now, but, you know, those are the ones we had to stomach back in the 80s and 90s. I'm like, oh, my God. But no, I don't think that was a part of that's not in the fabric here. What's in what's in it for me is what made this very real is the fact that they are locked into a pattern for 45 years. They have uh, perhaps, you know, I, I just love there was vagueness and ambiguity. Like, you know, just was there was it a conscious choice not to have children, you know, like, OK. And then how that informed the, the characters and just kind of going on. And you're well to do enough where you have your what's what are we doing Monday? We're going to the library because we have the time. Okay, great. And then we're going off to the bookstore. I'm going to go shopping on Wednesday. We go pick up fruit on Thursday. And that's what you do. And it's just your life just goes on. And until you stop it at some point and start to get real, the fact, you know, for me, these memories were just rock solidly frozen inside of him. And it was just like, you know, just he has just lived in denial. And uh, and that was my take on a lot of what we saw. Um, you know, yeah, I think it, I think it was very realistic. Um, uh, the entire film. I mean, it, was there a bad guy here? I don't. I don't think there was a bad guy. These, for all intents and purposes, these seemed like good people trying their best. But it sort of illustrates the complications of love, especially over a long period of time. How to endure that love? How to keep that love alive? Or just the attraction, at the very least. Um, so we we've sort of covered the story here. We're we're down to our last minute. Uh, Aaron, you gave it a 6.5, was it, right? Yeah, well, and, yeah, and I, I just have some closing statements, too, sure. on this movie. Uh, I, I like what um, Paul said about this being a short short story. You know, this originally was a short story, and for me, that's where this leaves off. We didn't need a, a full feature for this. I think this could have been done very, very well in a short film uh, style. You know, I mean, this wasn't 45 years. This was 45 centuries. You know what I mean? This was just like <laughs> you mean the dry, way that it felt, yeah. Like yeah it was <laughs> dry wine, you know, just trying to sip through it, enjoying it because it's wine. But I just don't want another glass. It's it's just too long. This is just it, it just stretched, and for me, it was just this complete misunderstanding. And I think it was a little harsh on her part, if I'm honest. If if I'm in this situation and her ex lover unfreezes and she has some emotions that come up from it i come from an understanding place and easy enough to say when you're not the person on the other other end of a 45 year relationship though um and, 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 and i would I, I would this, i would say the 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 dryness of the film matched you know the sort of yeah. the sort of age of these people and the sort of mm. slowness of their life and i and and that's why i think that we all kind of hit our rankings perfectly because i'm 7.5 Paul's an 8.5 and Aaron's a 6.5. And, and I'm sort of hearing both of your uh, versions of your experience of this film. And I'm sort of right in the middle there. I do. It was dull for me. It was not very enjoyable. There were many moments where I was like wishing that more things would sort of unfold. But ultimately, looking back, I have appreciation for what I was put through, which is this understanding of just how difficult it is to maintain um, a, a romantic relationship for that long. Um, cool. Uh, great conversation, guys. That's a great way to start this show off. Um, uh, before we go into the next film, I would like to uh, quickly 
show off our catalog to the audience. Chris, let's show a little preview of our website that is in the works. Sure. Let me get that up. So while you're doing that, I will say that uh, we are working on our own Cinemania website where all of our films will eventually land, um, where you will see our personal rankings for each of those films, um, and you'll see all of our episodes up there, and you'll also see our catalog, which has 39 films. It'll always have 39 films, ranging from currently... Oh, there we go. So this is the main page. This is Cinemania right here. The only film roundtable podcast. Let's check out the catalog. The uh, band. Um, and our catalog will always consist of 39 films, currently is ranging from 1926 to 2018 in many, many countries. Take a little scroll through. Um, and these are the films that uh, we are randomly drafting at the end of each episode to find out what films we'll be watching the following month. So, uh, yeah, exciting stuff. That website will be finished by next month, and um, uh, the Cinemaniacs will be able to go and uh, check out our personal rankings of these films, um, and uh, we'll also be starting a blog on there. Many things coming for Cinemania, so very exciting stuff. Let's find out what the next movie is. Let's do it, do it. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Paul just corrected my spelling on catalog. Yeah, 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 right. Fantastic <laughs> Planet! Oh, sweet God. <laughs> All righty. Fantastic Planet is an allegorical story about humans living on a strange planet dominated by giant aliens who consider the humans as animals. It is based on 1957 novel Ums de by French writer Stéphane Wool. Uh, the basic kind of narrative storytelling of the piece is that uh, the humanoids, uh, who are known as the Ur, I believe, Yoshi, um, correct me? Um, um, the Ohm, um, excuse me, uh, live in captivity uh, and are treated as pests to the ruling class of Ur, who are the giant blue aliens that you see on the film let's dive into that all right excited to see where the rankings are with this one <laughs> fantastic planet 1973 René France Fantastic planet. Okay, so we will uh, start with Paul this time on the rankings, and we'll end with Aaron. All right, hold on. I'm still getting... Uh, we just all do them at the same time, or no? I kind of like, uh, you know, focusing on one person at a time. It's oh, here we go. Perfect. Gotcha. All right. So I I'm still in the 45 years one. Okay, me too. Bear with me. And I refreshed, so I'm refreshing each time. It is active now. I double-clicked cool. it by accident. All good. No, good. All good. I see it. All right. All right. Let's see what you got, Paul. All right. Bear with me. Um, right. 
7.9 from Paul. Yes. All right. Going to me next. Up, 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 up. Oh, I forgot to put my name, but that's me. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Aaron, I'll have you go first. 8.2 from me. Hey. An eight it from was, Aaron. Yeah, it was funny. I was, I was going <laughs> to. This will be funny when we talk about this. It. Is this is going to be a this we, is going to be a great discussion because Jesus! Wow! Yeah, yeah, dude. I we're going to have a great discussion after okay. I calculate this. All right. Wow. What? Oh my so god! Twenty four, twenty nine dot six, and Paul, stop doing math better than me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I I, I uh, I'm tickled by Aaron and Yoshi's because I I, so I should put this over eight seven point three seven five. So let's uh, round up seven point four seven point four. Really That's funny. Seven variant 4. of yeah. This is a high variant of good. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. I felt that. Okay. And you oh, had it a low variant of very good. Okay. All right. I got you. And I yeah. had it a low variant. <laughs> you had a low variant of direct. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, yeah. So let me pull up the rankings so far. Well, Chris really uh, fucked the Fantastic Planets chances you know, up. <laughs> did, did I fuck it or did it fuck it up by did itself? It fuck itself? <laughs> so we've got uh, 45 years at 7.6 and 7 Fantastic Planet at 7.4. Wow. Okay. This is exactly, this is exactly it, man. All right, so um, let's get into it. Fantastic Planet, uh, René Lalleux. It's, uh, I think, from what I can understand, it was only the 12th or roughly around that, the only 12th or 13th ever animation out of France. So this is very early animation. Um, they, they, a very cool style, I thought, especially for the time. The uh, only people to ever really, ever really animate like that, that were popular were, is South Park. Uh, which is the technique of doing cutout paper and sort of stop motion. Um, did you guys watch the English or French uh, version? Because I didn't realize there was an option to watch it in English, but I watched the French. Uh, I watched the English one. Oh, I, I wonder how did Chris French? I wonder how different our experience was because we had to read and you could just you know watch. Yeah, I kind of it. It helped me let go a little bit more, just to enjoy the visuals and what was <laughs> happening fully. You know. Um, so, uh, Chris, why, yeah. don't you, why don't you start us off and, and help us get into the flow of this conversation? Why was this film so terrible for you? Well, oh my gosh, this film, uh, I watched this film and I literally, I felt like I was being tortured. Like I felt yeah. like I was being not necessarily forced to watch anything, but like, the sounds were so abrasive. The, the soundtrack was so like you know uh, oh, uh incredible the soundtrack was amazing uh, i did not i did jazz not enjoy and it. funk it was so good yeah I, I like jazz and i like funk i don't like space jazz done by someone who's just coming down off their acid trip that's what i felt like when i was listening to this and like do you i don't know if you guys remember the early hanna-barbera cartoons of like a savage planet where there was like a rhinoceros that could shoot shit out of its like nostrils and shit mm -hmm. that's what this that's what this felt like to me mm -hmm. it felt like somewhat some uh studios attempt at doing a cartoon for adults and i was so just viscerally unhappy with it 
the art style made me want to like vomit a little bit. The soundtrack did not make me and like for for a groundbreaking animation style, that's why I gave it the score it did. The story was trash. It's been told over and over and over and over again of like you should treat your animals better. You should treat the people who you think are de- less than you better. And like they and why do you need to meditate to fuck? Like well, why? <laughs> well, uh, it actually wasn't fucking. It was it was new it was nuptial rites. So it was actually like wedding ceremonies and and and. And and I think the idea was that that's how they got their life energy was actually so instead of fucking, they just had these wedding dances with other cosmic beings from from other realities. So it wasn't really sex. Okay, well they, they did. There was a line that was like that's how they reproduce. And so when they go, no, to it the was Sabbath- it was it wasn't reproduce. It was just life energy. But when when the the ohms go to the planet after they get attacked, mm-hmm. they kind of hold it hostage. So why why would it be nothing else than the procreation? Why would they be so afraid of it? I just said the light. There, this how they stay alive. That's what it, that's what the movie said. Okay, so maybe I was going off because I thought that the, the parents. I don't. I forget her name, but the daughter who had Tiwa uh, as a pet. Uh, they were teaching her. How, that's what I thought. I was like, they're teaching her daughter how to fuck. Like, because that she was. Oh, she's working on her meditation. I'm like, why are you encouraging this? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because those meditations seemed technologically induced too. They couldn't do yeah. it on their own. There was like this kind of thing that came down from the ceiling and kind of like went into them and yeah. scattered their fucking physical density. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, hey, uh, to each his own. I, I, I th- what I really liked about it was sort of you know I've never seen an a sort of animated version of like a Salvador Dali meets Hieronymus Bosch painting, which I'm a huge Hieronymus Bosch fan. So for me, I really love the sort of Terry Gilliamness of it all. And it was, um, there was that one scene where like the little tiny monster is like hanging out and then like the bigger monster, not monster, but creature comes and starts licking it. And like you mm-hmm. see, you know, it seems like they're buddies, buddies, and then it eats it. And I was like, dude, George Lucas totally saw this movie yeah. and put that in episode one where, where there's like that sea monster who's like seems so scary to them. And then a bigger one comes and eats that one. There's um, always a bigger fish. There's always a big, yes. Is that Obi-Wan oh, who says that? That's Qui-Gon says that. Can, uh, I'll pose this question and then someone take it over. Um, can anyone see this movie being made today with real people and it being fucking awesome? Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's where my head went. I, I, because watching it, I went back to the seventies. I'm like, okay. I said, for the reasons Chris didn't like it is were the reasons I was like, you know, uh, because I've now revisited seventies music. Like, sadly, growing up. Uh, I thought Dark Side of the Moon was the only Pink Floyd album and then anything thereafter. But like getting back to the really quirky early stuff, I was like, oh, okay. So a movie like this, I would, I'm now, I love the, you know, sort of marijuana space music element to this. Um, I love that because uh, probably in the 70s, people were trying to, we thought that maybe uh, uh, in the, uh, horrific absence of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King, uh, that maybe we could get some normalization or equalization with, uh, with color and race, uh, in the seventies, there was certainly a lot of protests during that time, pushing forward civil rights acts with president Nixon. 
So I was like, wow, this is really cool. And uh, if you've seen the, I think there's a YouTube video with who's the writer, uh, Roland Topor or whatever. Uh, and he, it's a fascinating oh, interview. Roland Topor is the animator. The, yeah. Right. The Alan, the illustrator. Yeah. So I was like, um, oh, this is kind of cool. This is really trippy. And um, I loved um, when you saw the, how human like these, the, uh, the pets were, I was like, Ooh, this is really creepy. So I, I loved it for a lot of those reasons and others. And so it was, uh, I, but, but then I fast forward to your point where I go, okay, great. I loved it then. Do I want to see it adapted today? And probably it will probably, I could see this becoming a multi-part series on Netflix or Amazon or something like that. And really digging into this. But would it be Um, animated? No, I think we should, I think it should be remade, uh, with, with real people. Um, and then obviously CGI for the aliens, or maybe they're real people too. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's where the movie suffers for me, uh, was that I imagine it was incredibly, uh, expensive to make animation at that time. Um, and that's really where the film suffers. It was short and they tried to pack a lot into it at once. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think that where it suffered the most was there was zero character development, zero. Um, And that's where I'll side with Chris on that. In fact, I liked the movie so much that it still got an 8.2, but I can absolutely concede because it would have been closer to a masterpiece for me if if, if we got to know these characters more, if we got to, uh, you know, Got if there was more of a buildup of the relationship with Tiva or whatever her name was and her pet, the main human, whatever his name was, yeah. the main Tiva, Tiva and Tiva was that really? Yes, that's how stupid it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if if we got to see the relationship built a little bit more, or we got to know Tiva, the main human, a little bit more, it seemed like lots of these characters were just in and out. They served their purpose. They were out. And again, I think this is just the result of the constraint they had, the, the running time that they know they had to work with. Mm-hmm. It felt very rushed. But the allegories behind it, the oh, story yeah. behind it, uh, were so good for me that I still really, really enjoyed the film. What were some of the allegories that you guys saw? Um, well, you know, what I saw in this film... I, I see what you guys are saying. I actually like the animation. I mean, we're in 1973, so I'm actually really impressed with what they were able to pull off. And the English version allowed me to kind of fall into the the animation in a different way, maybe. I'd like for you guys to watch it with the English dub because the dubbing didn't bother me at all. Um, but I, I think this story says something very unique about society and maybe future societies or past societies that like knowledge is really the power that that controls all like that band that they put around their head Mm -hmm. that gave them power like that band was everything and once the human beings see the, the human beings were treated as slaves and they were they were robbed of all knowledge. Basically, they were just stripped of knowing their own things, passing their own history. They had no way to educate themselves, so therefore they were just slaves and they had no power. And then this little boy finds the tool, which is like this all-knowing power that teaches them everything, and he takes this Mm -hmm. for himself to bring it back to his society, which in the chain of events... um, 
eradicates his society it, or not eradicates, but it, um, yeah, for, you know, it, ele- it elevates his society. Yeah. It elevates yeah. the society. It frees them. I mean, with that knowledge, they're able to build rockets. They're able to learn about <laughs> world very quickly. I will say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, well, but, but you made a good point about act three. Sorry, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, uh, I, I think this movie has so many gold gems kind of buried into it about how, how fragile this all is. Like if our history and our education is burned, what do we have? And do we lose all our power? Is knowledge really the ultimate uh, diamond in this story, you know? Yeah, sort of shades of 2001 Stanley Kubrick with the apes who find the, the bone um, which is like, you know, the start of their knowledge. And then eventually they find the, what was it like, a an obelisk, an obelisk, um, which is sort of the, I guess the same idea as this all intelligent, all knowing hat that they wear in this film. Yeah. The, it's interesting that you focused on sort of knowledge being, um, you know, the gateway to evolution. I didn't really think about that so much as much as I was, I guess I was kind of focusing on the allegory of, you know, like, despite being the intelligent species, they, f- they the intelligent, I put in quotation marks, um, they fail to realize the intellectual capacity of this lesser animal, the humans, which uh, frees them up ethically to regard the humans as like disposable. And so it's sort of, it's sort of, you can, as a species, think you're so advanced and, 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 and wise and smart. And, but really you're sort of just, excusing yourself from being ethnic ethically responsible to other life forms just because you don't have the capacity to understand how intellectual how intellectually advanced they might be just because you don't have the sense to sort of see that or, or comprehend that um so you can be i guess to sum it up more neatly you can think a species can think it's so much more advanced than it really is I just, I think there's so much better examples of this. Like, I mean, the things that you were talking about are present in Planet of the Apes, which I think is a much better film. It is. That, that, it is a better film. And, that, and then you spend time with the characters and, and you you realize like, oh yes, the, the apes are, are like this way because they deem the humans as stupid, because they are stupid. Because like Aaron just said, if a, a nuclear bomb just hit and all of our technology was wiped out and somehow we'd be found out later in the movies, I won't spoil that, but the apes are elevated because they can get knowledge faster. I just, I think this, I think this film, I don't know. No, I mean, you're absolutely right that it's, that it's been done better. I would consider the original Planet of the Apes an absolute masterpiece. In fact, maybe we'll, we'll review it one day because I I'm obsessed with that film. Mm -hmm. I would put that film probably above a nine somewhere, but this film for me, was an 8.2. It was like a nice try. That's why I would like to see it done again. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what year was Planet of the Apes, the original one? Do we know? Uh, early 80s, I think. I'll so it was after this. So I wonder, yeah. it, I wonder if they saw this and, and, and maybe... We were inspired. This is inspired. pretty early on for this kind of... Uh... 1968, so they made, they made oh, so, Planet of the Apes. Oh, oh, so this stole from Planet, maybe, yeah. potentially. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, well, we, we got a bunch of allegories in it, you know, racism, slavery, uh, you know. Animal rights, animal, animal rights. rights. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think ultimately it was a visually compelling film, um, and it and it sparked a lot of ideas in me. But ultimately, the lack of character development, uh, 
yeah, it, it made it, it, it wasn't as good as it, it could have been, but there were some disturbing scenes in there that, that, that can stick with you, like, and, and creative ways of displaying them. So for example, the de-umming or umming, whatever the fuck the humans are called. The gassing. Yeah. They gas yeah. them with those like pellets, like creative ideas displayed throughout the film, like that, you, you know, they, they kill the, their, their version of like a laser is just like a light that shines on them and they all just kind of like die. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. I also want to bring up a, a scene that kind of impacted me, uh, which I was curious about your your guys' interpretation of it, was the ceremony scene of the Ohms making love and breeding. It was like a full moon. They all went up to the top and they were taking these glowing balls. And what I took it as was like a, a mushroom or maybe like a molly pill or it was some kind of drug. And they would take it and then they would be enlightened. They would glow. Their whole body would glow and they'd head down. All the women would disperse first and then the men would chase after <laughs> in this sort of ritual. And I just thought this scene was so interesting, like to really go back in our history to the to our, our ancestors and see like, is this similar to a way they did things? Was it a spiritual um, ceremony with a type of drug or a, a mushroom or a, something Absolutely. that enlightened the spirit. And then it was like a dance. It was a chase, you know, or it was some kind of thing like that. Well, there's, is, there's actual uh, records and accounts of that type of activity with Soma with the Greeks, whatever that uh, was, which was most likely a, a, some sort of a, a psilocybin fungus type thing. Um, so there's, Plenty of records of those types of ceremonies happening early in development, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I like that scene that stuck with me. So that's a from from my own research. That's a, a, a callback to a Viking love ritual in which the men would have to hunt the women down. Yeah. <laughs> We're still doing it. Sounds a little rapey, but. <laughs> it, it was accepted. I mean, you have that in Native American <laughs> cultures too, where you know it, all the women would gather and then they would base, basically. It's like you're having a game of hide and seek, but you guys. Yeah. I mean, we still play that out. You know, maybe not physically, but we play that out for sure. Tinder. Wife. <laughs> um, cool guys. Yeah, that was that was good. Uh, yeah, Chris, I, I don't. You know, I don't disagree with some of the things you said. I, I do think you were a little harsh on your on your score, but um, you said some things that made me think a little differently. So, okay. Uh, okay, let's find out what's next. So, um, you've only done. Yeah, cool. We already updated the graph, so we're good. Yep. We got three left. That's right. Bloop. Oh, I got to remove that one. Yeah. Quick. By, by the way, uh, I've I've basically unbuttoned my shirt because I'm it sweating is, per, and I've taken my headphones off because it's really hot in here. Yes, it is yeah. super hot in here. Hot in LA. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's figure out what's next. Ooh. Yes. Amelie. <laughs> All right. And we want synopsis first or video first? Uh, let's go video. Oh, did we lose Aaron? I'm sure he'll return. All right. He will return. He always returns. There he is. Yeah. You, had to, you had to think about Amelie, didn't you? Amelie, 2001. 
Jean Biagenou, France. Puis j'aime bien repérer le petit détail que personne ne verra jamais. Par contre, j'aime pas dans les vieux films américains quand les conducteurs regardent pas la route. Amélie n'a pas d'homme dans sa vie. Elle a bien essayé une fois ou deux, mais le résultat n'a pas été à la hauteur de ses espérances. En revanche, elle cultive un goût particulier pour les tout petits plaisirs. Plonger la main au plus profond d'un sac de grains. Briser la croûte des crèmes brûlées avec la pointe de la petite cuillère. Man, Audrey Totot. I am so happy Man. to know her now. Yeah, for real. What a lovely woman. Um, all right, let's get the synopsis from you, Chris. And uh, so nice to actually hear the audio there. I guess I fixed it. Yeah, I was. Yeah, one's Aaron's Aaron, but uh, it was nice to hear your French accent. I actually did it as well for Fantastic Planet. Oh, cool! Yeah, I wanted yeah. to try it out, a little taste. Very nice. Very well done, Jean Pierre. <laughs> so Amelie tells the story of the shy waitress Amelie, played by Audrey Tatao, if I'm saying that wrong who decides to change the lives of those around her for the better while struggling with her own isolation. Uh, the story of Amelie is very sad. I mean, she's a very isolated person. Her mom is a hypochondriac and riddled with anxiety, and her father is just so absent. But she grows up in a world where she lives in her own imagination, and she tries to be the best person she can despite of it. Uh, in her adult life, she decides one day to be an angel, and so she goes around making small changes in people's lives to hope for the better until she finds someone who has a little bit more to offer Ooh. to her. Good at those, Chris. I can tell Thank you're you. not reading anything, so that's that's great. You can tell I'm not reading anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get that poll going. Okay, so it's starting with me, and then Chris, and then uh, Aaron and Paul, right? Yes. Bingo, bingo. All right. Joining. Oh. Oh. 8.6 from myself. Is it me now? Yep. Nice. Oh, my didn't go through. Bastards. Weird. Someone else can go while I get this again. All right. Oh, wait. That's, oh. that's me. Okay, 8.5. Oh, shit. That was me. Sorry, I forgot to put my name. Wow. Wow, wow. wow. Paul. Paul, oh, the masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Oh, but the nice. Mine is not actually going through, but I'm going to tell you right now. Mine's an 8.5. 8.5 from Chris. Wow, this is going to be fucking yeah, really so high up there. Buy one. Might potentially be the champ. I think it might. So that's, I mean, this is going to be easy. So that's a 9.3, 8 8.5, 8.5, and 8.6. 8.72. Holy hey. shit. 8.7 for Amelie. Wow. Nice. Wow. Well wow. Yeah, super well deserved. Yeah. Well, Paul. Let's, uh, let's see the graph, uh, Christopher. Yes. Yes. I have to enter the graph, so it'll be a moment. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So that is an 8.7 for Amelie. 8.7. Leading the pack, 45 wow. years, still at 7.6. Fantastic Planet at 7.4. Amelie, very, very good. So, yeah, we have uh, the first masterpiece of Cinemania. I mean, uh, retrospectively, yeah, there's been other masterpieces, but yes. with the new ranking system, uh, yeah. the first masterpiece from Paul on Amelie. Uh, man, yeah, I fell in love with I fell in love with uh, with Audrey on this one. How about you? Guys? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, this How one. How could you is, not? Uh, you, you, this is uh, if you what this is a deeply personal movie for me. Uh, I, uh, I I it's funny. I told my wife. I said uh, we're reviewing a movie forty five years. You don't have to worry that we're going to get to our. I think plausibly we could get to our 30th anniversary that I'll have any deep, dark secrets, but I do need you to know that I did date somebody who looked a lot like her for about a, oh, maybe two months. And, oh yeah. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Oh my God. The, the, the shoes and everything. I mean, that was so 1997. I was like, every time I see it, I go right back there. I remember lady die. I remember that was sort of like the beginning. I mean, that really solidified 24 hour news coverage just to date myself. And, and if that's the backdrop that we just allude to a couple of moments throughout the piece, the rest of it is just uh, from beginning to end, I'm on board. And it is a deeply, deeply, deeply personal movie for me. I loved it when I saw it. I know that it was um, probably, I think when it first came out, they, um, I'm I, I, it's funny because now after seeing this, I forgot to look up. It, it's such an intelligent, uh, romantic dramedy if we go there um yeah i just loved it from start to finish um i don't know what else to say it was so it was so beyond inspirational and you know usually i'm not i i I won't really get into these like kind of whimsical like you know colorful and sort of i know know. super colorful totally it's not really my style but it, it transcended all of those tropes for me and, and it was so enjoyable like almost every scene i was just like grinning like i am now just yeah yeah you know, what it, i think what, that's yeah for me that's why it went over a nine i said you know I, I this is a film if you're an actor in this film you're getting stopped on the metro and saying oh my god amelie you were the best and like every even one today. of them just, even today that's a yeah. thing and that really uh i forgot to look up the actor surge uh the the glass man um He's he's amazing. And he had, you know, sort of a a vanilla career up to that point. And then thereafter, it was sort of like, okay. Um, And if my hope for all of, for the three of you and the people watching is that you have someone like that in your life who tells you to live your life. Um, I have been told that a couple of times in my life where I was just a little static. And then you'd get someone like that and it comes from an uh, an an unusual or uncharacteristic place you you don't see it you don't know it's coming and then boom they just somebody takes a liking to you and what that's what i love the reveal of how how we were this web how we're all sort of interconnected seemed like though i guess from the production side we probably went i mean i've been to a lot of those places in paris but i mean they were all over paris i haven't hit every you know um every district there but they were all over but it just seemed like all the action was right there in the apartment with his video camera 
the corner market, the, uh, you know, the windmills cafe. And it was just, it all seemed like it was right there for us. And in that little nook right there, everybody could sort of spy in on each other. Um, so that, you know, it was, they weren't, you know, there's a voyeurism aspect and then there's, the, you know, everybody's, rec- whether they're recording their thoughts or whatever about someone, um, but everybody's got a, a few secrets, but then somebody steps up. So whether it's the old man urging her to move forward with it, whether it's the woman sort of screening uh, her boyfriend to be, um, it, it just was great. It was really uh, just heartwarming and uh, and it's done in a way that, you know, the French could get away with. And uh, I don't, I'm trying to find an American equivalent and I, uh, I'm sure there's been one, but this was so great. She's just so transcendently cute. And I just, because I think that was what it was for me with seeing the, uh, I forget, I don't know, I think the guy was a jazz musician, but he's in the, um, in real life, uh, the four black and white photos of the guy. Oh yeah, he's a jazz musician. He's a jazz musician. So yeah. well, what does she look like? And he's talking about well, is she pretty? I, I don't know if he said beautiful or cute or pretty or I think it was beautiful. Is she beautiful? No, 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 she's pretty. And that's exactly what she was, because there were moments where they just softened the focus on her and she looked beautiful. And then there were times where she was cute, she was very pixie-ish quality. And I was like, ah, you're just on board, you adore her, and you're like, just take me where you need to take me. You know, it's uh I, it's uh, it's yeah. so rare to to find. I mean, really rare because I, I mean, so rare that I don't think I know anybody who's actually done it to the degree that Amelie did in this film. But it's so rare to find someone who's somehow managed to maintain that level of innocence about them. Um, but what a great like display of the value of maintaining that innocence about yourself so that you can sort of find the solace in the little private, small joys of, of, of a life full of cynicism. But um, if I was a critic of this film and I was looking for something negative to say, I would say, well, that's just unrealistic. People don't behave that way. The last person to do that was Jesus, you know, like, um, but it shows you the value of, of sort of, you know, maybe the, maybe the best approach to actualizing yourself is to actually give yourself up. And that's how I walked away from this film inspired to be a little bit more like that to, instead of going through my day to day, um, you know, worried about how I'm going to do this, this, and this, or how I'm going to make myself feel good. Instead of focus on put that energy outwards. And I'm not joking. I actually put that to the test and, it's real, man. It comes back to you one way or the other, 100%. And I'm going to make, uh, and that's why this film ranks so high for me, because if a film has the capacity to make me want to change something about my life for the positive, then then you did something pretty amazing. Uh, Aaron, uh, t- tell us your experience a little bit. Yeah, that's that's beautiful that it affected you on that level where you're carrying it on in your day-to-day. And that's what this movie did for me as well, where it's just, you 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 get to come into this world she's she's like this innocent zorro character just kind of doing these little good deeds for the small people you know and like just making just a little bit of impact to where it could turn into something huge um i particularly love the atmosphere of her workplace like this whole weird dynamic with the stalker guy and then you know you got the hypochondriac cashier and she's kind of like loony, but then like she uh, there, I forget who says it. Is it the, the old painter that tells her you can make anybody fall in love? 
I forget who gave her that advice. And she gets this little seed in her head that she's going to make the stalker and the cashier fall mm-hmm. in love because they're both lonely and they're You're both. Stalker? The guy who's recording on the, the, yeah, the owner. Yeah, the owner he's like, list. he's stalking yeah. the girl from the cafe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. To he me, he's the other girl, right? Well, yeah, he's stalking his ex, and then he's... Um, oh, that's right. That's right. right. And then yeah, he's, yeah. He's stalking, stalking his ex. He's like stalking his <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. he's a stalker. It's kind of creepy, man. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. like, dude, get a life, bro. Like, what are you doing, man? This is really creepy shit. Anyways, but I just love that little seed she plants. She's like, huh, I wonder if I can make these two seemingly miserable people find love. And she kind of plants the seeds, you know, like... Hey, you know, uh, he's been looking over here at the cash register and then like to him, she's like, have you seen this, this, you know? So it's like, I just love that. And then it plants a seed and all of a sudden love just kind of bursts out of this feeling of like acceptance and validation from another human being and noticing qualities in somebody you may have been missing. You know, there's just so many goodies in this movie. It's, I mean, we could expand on it. It's Isn't that just interesting. Like maybe that's actually the only good utility for lying. I did. I, I'm just kind of happening on that right now. Like, cause she lies to both of them. Yeah. But in the service of good, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they find this little, this romantic moment and it, eventually he drives her nuts and they bang one out real good in the restaurant and yeah with everything shaking and, and, and their lives are amazing <laughs> yeah uh chris any scenes stick out to you uh yes and no i i want to say this before i give you a scene but i found it and this is why it only got an 8.5 i felt like there was a little bit of vindictiveness within her because she she very much could have just left that alone because it's obvious that guy is just a fucking creep. Why yeah. why why make her your friend happy by giving him the creep in in the in the cafe? Yeah, but she was desperate beyond measure. But yeah, but it was I don't, I don't think well I mean that's it's my own personal opinion. You can't solve your own problems with a person. Like your problems are still going to exist, which which is an example in the movie because he's still an asshole. She still thinks that everything's wrong with her, and ultimately. But, character does reveal itself because he does become jealous and ruins it that's true he becomes crazy but i think it does something for her as well like she gets some kind of uh i don't know like you can see she becomes a different person she lets go of all these like weird insecurity Uh and actually that event might have kind of spiraled her into a new direction of like taking control of her life, you know? Well, and then they say it too. It's like what love, the only thing she couldn't catch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think, I think the scene for me was the, the leading the, the boyfriend through the, the streets of amazing. Yeah. Loved every moment of that yeah. using a fucking living statue and pointing at something amazing. Yeah. Like, I privately texted Paul, I believe, uh, in reference to that, just like, I think it was you, Paul, where I said, like, so, so rare to find anyone going to that extent these days mm-hmm. to, 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 instead of forcibly make someone fall in love with you, you know, so directly, you, you sort of beat around the bush and you make it this really fun, extravagant game. Like, mm-hmm. who does that? Nobody. And, like, you, and you can choose to walk away at any point. Yeah. Right. There's no, there's yeah. no, no yeah. force behind it. Um, yeah, that scene's great. And um, for me, if I was to point to a scene, the scene that made me the happiest uh, was hmm. when 
grabbed the blind man. I cried. I oh, cried yeah, during that yeah. whole thing. And she gave him like a, a that's basically the equivalent of of giving someone like LSD who's never who's like 80 and who never did any drugs. Like she grabbed this blind man and gave him this very visceral uh sense sense-driven experience through a sense that he had lost. So, you know, he can't see and now she's bringing him on this roller coaster. Like everything they pass, she's doing a vivid description of it at like a, such a rapid rate. It's like this drug. I bet you after <laughs> that moment, that blind man is forever chasing that dragon again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a what a scene, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah. Um yeah, anything else, guys? I I so I I really enjoyed the the process of like discovery too because she gets a lot of things wrong. Usually you don't see that in movies. Usually you see like oh I'm going to go this way. I find the guy I'm looking for, but then she she learns from it. it you know, Bretado, you're looking and it's it's one syllable different, mm-hmm. but she goes and she meets people and she positively impacts them. But the 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 biggest thing throughout this movie which I really hope to and somehow input my work I don't know if you guys caught this. She never not does what makes her happy. She's always picking up rocks to throw throughout the entire movie. She never faults. She never changes herself for anybody. She's always the person she is, no matter what she's doing. Yeah, and her attention is always outwards rather than inward. Yeah. She's, she's never sulking in her misery. She's always mm-hmm. looking out, what can I do? What can I change? What can I be? Yeah, that's a good note. That's... It's a yeah. bit sad at the end of the film that she almost lets this guy go, though. You know, she like really hesitates and kind of lets him slip away for a second. You know, it's almost remind like she doesn't me, know how me, to really... remind me what you're referring to. Well, the end of the film, right? Like uh, he comes to the door, the door, yeah, and and knocks, and she like has a freakout moment, and he. I think he slipped something under the door. I'm trying to recall. This is the first film I saw this month, by the way. So it was a bit far. So, so he says, hit. I'll be back. That's the, he's playing her. Yeah. But she has this moment, too, where she doesn't even want to. And then she eventually opens the door, right, on the second go. or She, she, so, she wants to chase him, and then he's there, right? right. So he says, I'll be back, I'll be back, mirroring the thing that she put him through. Right. And uh, she yeah. looks outside. He's gone. And she's like, oh, he's gone. And then she gets the phone call from the artist. And he's like, what are you doing? Go after him. And then he's right there because it was a joke. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so lots of lots of games between the, these yeah. two. Uh, <laughs> like, it's like, she, yeah, she, she doesn't want – she doesn't want – you know, she doesn't want it to be easy. She wants she wants to put all these tests to make sure that it's authentic and, and real and worthwhile. Um, what do you think the ghost represented? You know, the the thing that that the the her future love, right? Her boyfriend that she wanted to have. He was chasing the ghost of the pictures, but he wasn't really a ghost. No, he wasn't. So, what do you think that kind of? I was trying to see the symbolism oh, right. behind that. Yeah, what would you say? So, okay, so just to catch the audience up, there's uh, the, the, the love interest of Amelie is this man who uh, collects uh, photos from a photo booth of people. Well, what, what's, what's the idea there? I forget exactly what it is, that these photos were dis- disregard, discarded. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's photos that were thrown away. So he makes photo books of photos that people took of themselves in photo booths, but threw away and didn't mm-hmm. keep. And mm-hmm. one of them is repeating, and it's 
and, and she, she classifies it as a ghost. Um, and then it turns out that it's just a repairman. And that's why uh, he, it's, it's repeated. So, yeah, what would the symbology be there? I mean, I can throw it in here. I've been talking a lot, though. No, no, please. No, give it to oh, so, I, I'm so, kind of wondering. It was such a significant part of this movie. That was how they fell in love. It was, it was a mutual appreciation and determination to try and help people. He picked up those photos to make a photo album because no, you should not throw away anything of yourself. You should be happy with who you are. I mean, he is a full example of being happy with who you are. He works in a fucking porn shop. You, people who are so happy with who they are, well, supposedly, uh, that they are comfortable showing themselves naked. So he is collecting these photos and hoping to find the people who throw them away. And this person keeps appearing. And much like Amelie, he's like, I'm trying. I mean, he runs after this guy after he tries to do it. So I think it's, it's their mutual appreciation for trying to fix broken people. Sure. That's maybe the idea of the whole, but I think Aaron's trying to zone in on, on specifically the quote unquote ghost um, who she poses that, that, that he's, I forget exactly what she poses, but it's, it's an idea that he's stuck, right? There's like a stuck element to why he's yeah. there. Well, and then the, the artist says, you know, he, maybe it's because he's aging and he wants to, you know, capture the moment of who he is. And then he keeps throwing it away because he's disgusted with who he is. Yeah. Well, we've exceeded our 15 minutes, uh, but yeah. I guess we'll have to just continue to ponder what the symbology of the ghost was. Yes. Yeah, maybe our audience will give us some comments too, you know? Yes, mm -hmm. we would love that. Um, I have to pee, so while I do that, continue on, Chris. All right. I'm in control now. <laughs> All right, so we're going to determine what our penultimate uh, film is going to be. Lives will be changed. Wheels will be spun. Ooh, oh boy. <laughs> My own private Idaho. Lobster? Private Idaho. Oh my gosh. All right, folks. So, My Own Private Idaho. Idaho. Oh my god, Darren. <laughs> my Own Private Idaho. 1991. Gus Van Zandt. The United States. That fat guy. He owes me money. Who? You know, the fat one. Pinch it. I think that I shall never see a poem as lowly as a tree. Hey, everybody! Here comes Bob the Chisler. Here comes Bob the Sewer. The Thrasher. I think my friends can see that I am back from Boise. I'm a listener. And more than that, my real father. Aaron auditioned for that movie. Did you really? No, you weren't even born yet. Wow. <laughs> you have been wow. perfect. Jesus, Jesus, that was Cowboy. so bad. Cowboy. Dylan got that role. Oh, my God. Come uh, back next week and uh, take your shirt off. And oh, Jesus. Uh, my Own Private Idaho is a story, of, uh, it says it's a coming-of-age story, uh, as one, one narcoleptic, afflicted, we have God, save it, say, save it for the discussion, Aaron. Yeah, no, we gotta... uh, it's the coming-of-age story uh, of a young narcoleptic man uh, 
uh, named Mike, who travels across the country with his estranged friend, Scott, as he hopes to discover the location of his mother who left him at a young age. Uh, Scott, however, is the son of a mayor in Seattle and is inheriting a fortune as they live in squalor with a rambunctious group of squatters in a hotel. Their journeys take them all across the United States and even to Italy as they discover what it means to be a man. Um, Okay, so let's get the uh, website up. Okay. Polling, thank you for your services. Well, thanks, everybody. Let me tell you how I did it. <laughs> All right, Christopher, start us off. Join. There we go. All right. A five from Chris. Yep. <laughs> Who's next? Me? Sorry. Oh. Ah. All right, there we go. Paul with the six. Aaron with a... No, you go first. <laughs> I'm last this time, man. <laughs> He's last. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Hit us, Aaron. Hold on. Oh, he's he's changing it last minute. Oh. I had to make sure I was reading my, sh- my paper right. Oh, yeah. Aaron, don't <laughs> change your score. Oh, Aaron. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I would have been four tenths closer to you. Right? But I'm thinking, uh, let me just give it to the nine. Oh, Yoshi. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow, wow. Honestly, I feel All like right, folks. I, for the, I had yeah. to hit the 69. No, that's good. I, I was almost at 6.5. I thought, well, River Phoenix performance and Bob, but Whew. The rest of it yeah, is mean, not was, sustainable. I mean, yeah, we'll get into this. Yeah, yeah uh, five point seven. Five, yeah, I mean, seven. That's, that's, a, that's officially the lowest ranked film so far. Well, we can talk right about it right now. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. Let's. Uh, yeah, five point seven. Um, man, this was this was such a bad film. <laughs> hard to get through. It really was. Yeah. It's really hard to get so through. Bad. I had high expectations too. So I picked the movie. How do you think I feel? No, it's, movie you're not alone, Aaron. You're not alone. It's, it's on my uh, radar for years. It's, it's yeah. talked about like a, a, like, like it's held in really high regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People that I respect. And I'm glad that we are finally all in unison on how on a film that's bad because now we can all just shit on a film together. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, enjoyable! Uh, Gus Van Zandt is a legend. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to go see Drugstar Drugstore Cowboy. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it, and it's also held in high regard. Um, but I have to admit, I'm starting to question my love for Gus Van Zandt because I have him in such high regard because Goodwill Hunting is one of my all time favorite films from my childhood. Um, but now I'm starting to think that that's largely because the script was just so well done by Ben Affleck. And, and yeah. Yeah. They um, killed it. Yeah, guys. What the fuck was this movie? Bro, the story. I mean, I, I just think the writing had issues, you know, like I, yeah, I don't even know if I'm the first one to get into this. Well, you know, this film, just continue on that because that was the problem. Even Gus Van Sant admitted it. Aaron. So oh, he admitted it. Yeah. So yeah. Well, because he started and stopped this project. So you're not alone. So now he's going, okay, great. Now I'm going to bring Henry the fourth and Henry the fifth into a movie. 
That's and it's so dissonant. You're like, oh man, it was like it was weird. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> it felt like you were watching kind of like a, a stage play, the way the writing was and the way yeah. they were speaking and moving about as if we're talking to an audience. And you know, it just like it lost this like realness, and you had something so special with these two lead actors to to make a, a beautiful film. I'm not crazy about this whole. You know, this film felt like uh, uh, the Hook movie. Take that back. No, no, no. You take that back. This this film had the structure of the Never Never Land, like the boys, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I'm not saying... We're going to have problems for a second. No, Hook is amazing. What I'm saying is they kind of had that structure, like the... A Peter Pan Peter yeah. Pan, yes, it had the Peter Pan structure, except okay. everybody was prostitutes. Because the Lost Boys and Peter Pan are a group of boys who uh, never grew up because yes. they didn't have parents. Exactly. That's exactly what you have. This is definitely the Lost Boys, so that's yeah. actually spot on what it is. But we put, yeah, we put everybody as hookers, and we just added this really nasty film. Like the even the coloration of the film was just grimy. You know, it just had this yeah. yellow filter over it. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know. This movie was so hard to get through. It really was. I mean, I'd like to see what you guys have to say, but. It started uh, off, it started off promising. I thought with, with him on the road, that shot was really beautiful. And he's like, this looks familiar, whatever the fuck that line was. Like if they would have kept that sort of dreaminess that the film started with. Right. And kept the focus on River Phoenix character development. Or any focus. <laughs> yeah. Any focus. <laughs> Yeah, focus. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think ultimately where there's there's for me there's two divisions of where the film completely lost itself and devoured itself. The first being very pretentious of you to try to bring Shakespeare in, and if you're gonna do it, do it in the background, not with these yeah. little moments of actual Shakespearean speech. If you want to have it, if you want to loosely base your film off a Shakespearean play, then then do it in the background. Don't tell us about it, you know. Because that's one thing, but but to bring us in and out, to weave in and out of a Shakespeare, you know, monologue, monologue, it just doesn't work. And in fact, it, it it probably ultimately ruined the film. The other division that came to mind was, you're gonna tell me that River Phoenix has these parental problems. He's looking for his mother, and he has this bad relationship with his father. Well, then make that the story. Tell me more about that, because there wasn't enough for me to care about River Phoenix's situation. Yeah, exactly. I didn't feel sad for what he was going through, which was yeah. weird. It was like, this is so dramatic. And it's not, it's not his story. The, the movie should have been about Scott. It should have been about Keanu Reeves' character. Mm -hmm. Yes, you right. That started to yeah. get interesting, right? Yeah, it was super fucking interesting. He's the son of this very wealthy, very well-connected dude who's literally just fucking around until he gets his money. Yeah, you yeah. Could, you could have had like a Batman type uh, yeah. situation there, you know. And that's what Henry the Fourth is about, yeah. right? So, so, so you had these elements that that just uh, were never really actualized. You're right, actually. I didn't uh, think about that. It should have been about a, a, a man who was born into wealth, mm -hmm. who threw it away for prostitution in some sort of masochistic way, only to refine himself. And 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 take on that wealth when his father dies, and then do good with it, or something and like become that. Neo. Become I mean, and then just like steps in, like all of a sudden he's just he is Neo, and we're like, oh, okay. 
Wait, yeah, he, literally, he literally goes from wearing a leather jacket with no undershirt and a choker <laughs> to wearing a three-piece suit. It's like, right? what? <laughs> oh, this is a prequel to The Matrix. That would be amazing. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Like the stories. Like Mr. Anderson, I need you to blow me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole Mil- movie felt like a fashion show. Um, you know, <sighs> there's nothing really deep about it. You know, oh. even like River Phoenix sort of like touching his face. It was so obvious that he was like putting on a show of a performance. Yeah. There's nothing authentic to it. And, and Yo, the, the German guy, though. Oh, Udo's the best. Udo cares. Amazing. Uh, yeah, he I got a point five. He that was his. That's his act. That was his act. And uh, he that he toured the United States with that act. Toured Wait, Germany with that act. I with mean, the lamp. Yeah, with the he had a torch. Uh, what do you call torchlight? The show. That was real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's oh. done that. that oh, that, that was so good. He's so. That's why you know I probably you know if it didn't go into direct land for me. Udo Kier is just. He's so good. Film for you, yeah. Hey, He's why, great. why, why introduce the narcolepsy at all? What was the I, exactly? I still don't. I, I'm like, what is going on here? You know, why? Like, you can't just have a whole film yeah. where you're going to have your main character fall asleep twenty times and not tell us what the like the the psychological significance of it is. Is yeah, it unless a, after every reality, yeah. essentially is what the idea is, right? He can't face moments because. For me, the closest we got to a definition of that was when he's with his father and they start getting sentimental, he passes out. So, okay, so anytime anything gets too real, he passes out. But again, it wasn't really proven. Stress, stress-induced. Stress-induced. Yeah. yeah, but also, I mean, the way they depart us with this film, they just kind of drop you off, like in the middle of the desert with some guy picking him up and it's like, have a nice day. It's just like, fuck you. Like yeah. that would... <laughs> That's the way this ties all together. This is the bow you put on your movie. Yeah, Who do you think picked that. him up? Tell me that. Was Anyone. it Keanu? Was it the brother? Was it the mom? No, it was just someone trying to take advantage of him again. Or was it somebody important that picked him up? Was it what? Was it somebody important that picked him up? It doesn't matter. It doesn't we don't matter. care. We don't yeah, care. Exactly. These are movies that you love because you, I can go for popcorn right now and I can go check out what's playing at the rest of the Cineplex and then I can yeah. come back. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Oh, let me ask you this. Is it worth bringing in Drugstore Cowboy into the catalog? Because at this point, I'm no. very... No? I love Matt Dillon and I love Kelly Lynch and you're catching them at a very influential point in their acting careers and it's great. And uh, who's their... Uh, so you're saying yeah. yes. I don't know if I wouldn't put it in the catalog. I would definitely watch it just okay. to give you uh, an alternate take. Cause uh, obviously you, you guys have touched on it. This, I don't think this, they went into shooting my own private. I don't, I don't think they had like a really well-structured script. I think he had some idea of what he wanted to do, incorporate Shakespeare, probably went up the, I mean, Portland's his backyard. He probably shot the street hustlers thought, should I do a documentary? Cause there was a great documentary done on Seattle street hustlers. Uh, I will find the name of that one. That one was brilliant. And you cared about these people. And then you follow one of them through his untimely death. That was great. Now, I don't know the timeline of that movie compared to Gus Van Sant's movie, but that was Seattle. He obviously is in Portland. He's in his backyard talking to street hustlers, probably got inspired. Obviously, there's moments of the movie where he interviewed or uh, edited in those interviews into Mm -hmm. the movie and then incorporated those, you know, your onset uh, um, 
guidance, you know, the street hustlers into the the movie, but it just it just didn't work. He had too many things going on, and you know, it's it's well documented that River Phoenix went above and beyond for his uh, you know research for this film. He spends lots of times with actual prostitutes, and I don't know. I also heard some things. You know, it's the internet, so what can you say? But uh, that maybe he even experienced some things uh, to prepare for this role. Clearly, it didn't really work, but uh, I wonder if he had some homosexual, uh, you know, hidden things going on. Because from what I understand, his character was not written as gay, but that uh, fire, the the fireside chat between him and Keanu was completely ad-libbed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in the moment, supposedly, River decided that his character was gay. And then they just kind of ran with it from there. And Gus was like, okay, I guess, I guess we'll do that. Well, I think that's an indicative of the story because Keanu's character, Scott, was just doing it for fun, whereas Mike was doing it as he had to. Yeah. So, like, yeah. That Scott shows- said he was like, I only have sex with men for money. Yeah. That shows you how loose the making of the film was because they were yeah. making it up as they were going. Let me ask you this, guys. Is this man overrated? No. <laughs> no. This is just a terrible film. Yeah, it's just a bad movie. Yeah. What are what are good films besides Good Will Hunting? So I can educate. Myself. Oh gosh, did he do Almost yeah. Famous? Nope. No, so. that was uh, Almost Famous. Was uh, To Die For is really good. To Die For. Yeah. And yeah. that, um, the, although the, I like the TV version better with Helen Hunt, Nicole Kidman's really good. And watching it, you're like, oh, okay, got it. Um, and then it's just a question of whether you like. Um, um, you know, elephant. Are you? I mean, are you in when he? What is that? A dramatization of like the uh, Columbine. You know, high school. Jeez, um, I guess you call it a massacre. Um, elephant was good. Um, well, he did like, Psycho. Too. Yeah, Finding Finding. He did, he did the remake Psycho. of Psycho, which yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was terrible. Ninety eight. He did a lot of music videos, huh? I'm seeing yeah. here. He did yeah. a lot of music videos. Yeah. All I right. liked I liked Milk and I liked Finding Forrester. That's the only other two I liked. Oh, Milk was him. Yep. Yeah, Finding Forrester I liked too. Yeah. I don't know that one. Yeah, but see the TV version of To Die For. The Helen Hunt one, if you can find it, she's brilliant. That's probably why she never worked again because venomous. Paul's going to become a why they never worked again detective. Yeah. No. Why Street- they never worked again? <laughs> Streetwise is the name of the documentary. Streetwise came out in 1984 really really good about uh life of street hustlers in seattle i mean if we're gonna do that we might as well just watch kids too yeah that kids is great love that yeah Yeah, i love kids oh my god the pool scene is hilarious oh god um i think we've uh i know we still have plenty of time left. we have four minutes left (laughs) (laughs) get rid of uh my own private and i have one thing to say i think and this is something that i was looking up the guy who played bob in the in the shakespeare adaptation he his name is falstaff yep that character is so sought after for actors and that i when i was looking up my own private idaho just for the poster there were three interviews one with kenneth branagh one with Orson Welles and one with Vince Vaughn <laughs> about the character of Falstaff. It was also about Bob. So, but the interviews are about them talking about Henry. Henry, yes, not this movie. But what a! It's like you're. It's like you're giving Walter White an interview on Walter White, and then you put Walter White in a movie where it's like there's a bunch of you know gay hookers and terrible stuff. And just to be clear, the the 
the the hookerness of it all and the homosexuality of it all did not bother. I can speak for all of us. Didn't but that's not what was nope. the problem with the film. You can have the whole film with with River Phoenix and, and Keanu fucking dudes. That's not the problem. The problem is that there was no story there. There was no character. No. It was too loose, and it was clearly uh, just uh, a bunch of dudes trying to make an artsy film and failing. Yeah. Um, Call me by your name's great. Exactly. Exactly. Although that's not even close to. Uh, <laughs> no, not even close. <laughs> You're not a homosexual <laughs> sex going. On. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, happy to move on. Yep. Last film. Goodbye, Idaho. All right. So uh, hit us with that video, I guess. Cul de sac. 1966. Roman Polanski, United Kingdom. Very the tray. Darling, with his arm. That's not cute. It was always understood by the master that I was simply engaged to look after the garden and help a bit with the chickens. For once, you can lend a hand. I'm doing the best I can, madam. Anyway, that's all there is. There's plenty of everything in the wine cellar. You know where that is, don't you? Uh, shall I go? Uh, with his arm, you know. N'est-ce pas, chérie? Get the basket from the kitchen. George will never change. He's a yank, isn't he? Oh, Dickie, uh, James is first rate, but he has his little ways. He's wearing a Christian Dior tie. Man. Ooh, 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 ooh. Fucking Donald Pleasant. Oh, God, he's so cool. Yeah. Uh... All right, hit us with that synopsis, bruh. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, I jumped the gun. A cul-de-sac is a story of a, uh, a comedic robbery gone awry. Uh, two uh, two uh, criminals on the run stumble across the castle of Lindisfarne in North England, uh, and they are promptly, uh, they take advantage of a couple, uh, a man who is, by all intents and purposes, uh, just not pleasing his woman who is a nymphomaniac. Uh, one of the criminals dies as soon as they get there and they have to deal with the hilarious nature of being kind of under house arrest, kind of being held hostage, <laughs> but also in the situation where guests are coming in and people are fucking this wife. And it's, it's a cacophony of, of, uh, you know, putting characters in a meat grinder. That's a great wave. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's <laughs> yeah, so how I felt when I got out of it. <laughs> I might have hit this thing too fast. Oh, shit. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guess that uh, this film was ranked high by Paul, medium by well, Chris, low by Aaron. That's my guess. <laughs> let's find you- out. Paul already went. Oh, I'm just supposed to be 8.3. 8. Sorry about that. Okay. 8.3 from Paul. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize um, it was up. Who's up? Is it me? Yes. Okay, Paul. You and I are on the same exact page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Aaron. Aaron. Oh, like, that's that's Chris. Aaron's Sorry. gonna put his four point two. Yeah, Aaron's about to fuck <laughs> up. Six point one. Okay. That's not bad. That's good. Not terrible we'll take at all. That. Yeah. Wait. So you liked my own private Idaho better than this? Wow. Really? Fuck, bro. Dude, this <laughs> one. This was British realism at its finest. I mean, now, wait a minute. This one said comedy, and I didn't laugh once. 
it doesn't then it doesn't have to be a comedy for you you can't just you're gonna rank it low just because it's labeled a comedy you didn't i like just it. didn't like it at all so but yeah. you like but can i please get it on the record that you liked my own private i hope the german me. guy that was salvation oh my god wow wow, wow. catherine denou point six you know uh, what aaron that's that one hurts a little bit because this one's going to be on our website and it deserves a little bit higher than that. Okay, let's, it I don't think it does. That's I don't think it deserves. The beast. That's the nature of this beast that is cinnamon. I don't think it deserves <laughs> to breach eight at all. Wow, all Jesus, Aaron, where to fuck it up, man? <laughs> we'll look at some other reviews on this film. It does not deserve an eight. Okay, well, let's get into it. Um, so, can can we see the graph? Uh, Chris? Yeah, I just got to throw it in order because right now it's out sure. of order and it's bothering so, me. So just to recap, I did 8.3. Uh, mm-hmm. You and Paul did 8.3. Yep. yep. And Chris, what did you give it? I gave it a 7.7. 7.7. 7. Yep. And, and I balanced it out. What did you give 6. It? 6. 6.1. 6.1. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there were, there were a lot of things about this film. Let's see where we're at here. So this is our final graph here. So... So Amelie wins. Amelie is the champion mm-hmm. of the bye with 8.7, a very fantastic score. Tied for second place is Cul-de-Sac in 45 years at 7.6. Uh, third place goes to Fantastic Planet with a 7.4, and rightfully so, last place, my own private idol, 5.7. Um, yeah, so lots of lower-ranking films for, for the very first ever uh, show with our new ranking system. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put up too much of a fight here. There's lots of things about this film that I really disliked, that really bothered me, but there was enough things about it that really impressed me, that uh, allowed me to breach the eight. Um, let me start with this, and let's just keep the flow of the conversation going. I could not decide if I liked or hated Donald Pleasance. Most of the film, I was so annoyed by him, and I, and I just didn't get what the fuck was happening with him. But then when we're watching back like that clip right there, he's really making me laugh. So it's like, I can't figure out whether I like him or hate him, but I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. He's, he's really wonderful. If you, you know, if you haven't seen the great escape, um, he's wonderful in that. Yeah. You got to see that. We've talked about, uh, reviewing Columbo episodes. He's Uh, probably in one of the greatest, if not number two or number three, Columbo episodes of all time playing, you know, some version of probably his ordinary self. Um, yeah, you, but you make a great point, Yosh, because, uh, I, I, that was a thematic element that I really loved. And he, I think we just all had to be on board with it from the jump where he's just sort of the, you know, the cuckold, um, the wealthy industrialist who sold his factory and is now living in Northumberland. And I've got this beautiful, I mean, drop dead, gorgeous wife, you know, um, my live in, uh, and that the, uh, you know, gender identities have reversed. I just loved all that. So I guess I, you know, from the jump, I was really on board with him. Um, but maybe it was informed by some of his other roles. There's a sensitivity to his performances. Um, so I can see him inhabiting this and, and, and just having a lot of fun with it and making fun of himself as the, you know, I, you know, I just imagine what his life was like as the, you know, the, you know, the industrialist and just everybody kowtowing to me. And now I get to be the one, who, you know, maybe it's a choice he made. Like it's the typical of the guy who goes to, like he would go to one of Chris's dungeons 
because we talk about Chris's dungeons all the time. And he's, he needs to get beat, my dungeons beat into submission because he's so tired of giving out orders all day and managing his multinational company. And I just loved his sissy element. It was uh, I found it endearing and comical and appropriate for this role. And of course, he's in the hands of Polanski. He's got this killer jazz score, sort of you know, bebopping us along. You know. Uh, we all probably dug into the behind the scenes of Gil Taylor, who has lensed a, a pile of black and white movies. I mean, if you're not struck by Dr. Strangelove's opening, then you kind of need to go maybe talk to your mother, see if you can climb back into the womb, come back <laughs> out, start your life over again. Okay. But it's, he's, it's just beautifully shot. And, um, it's just a fun movie. It's not a masterpiece, but it definitely, you can see, uh, but it could have been a masterpiece. This is it. Thing. Definitely could have been a masterpiece. So then I one hundred percent. I think that I think that the first half hour of this film is one of the best starts to any film. Oh. It inspired me in so many different ways, and I think ultimately the film devoured itself because it didn't really have any direction. And some people could look at that as a positive thing, but ultimately I think that it fell short of like being a masterpiece. Um, the thing is, is like Chris touched on, on like there being some narcolepsy thing there. And then Donald Pleasant's character even says that there's like some secret, which we never really hear what the secret is. What did, did I miss something? What was the secret? What was, was going he on? was impotent. That was it. Yeah. He was impotent? yeah. I mean, did you guys not see the symbolism in the entire movie of what? So literally there, and I, I was laughing and this is oh, interesting that, uh, that Aaron said it didn't make him laugh. I was laughing at the whole thing. Every single shot of this movie has a shot of Donald Pleasant's impotence. The, the abundance of eggs in the house, the fact that uh, he go, they go out shrimping and the only thing he can get is four shrimp. Uh, the leaks that are on the, 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 the door of the refrigerator that you have to move out of the way because they're so limp that they droop down over it. The, uh, the pin of the, of the record player gets broken. And then the fact that uh, the shotgun he has doesn't have bullets. Uh, the fucking everyone's fucking his wife. That's just a very blatant one. And the fact that like she dresses him up in the beginning. The so, entire film is about his impotence. So okay, yeah, I missed all that. That's 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 wonderful. I didn't I didn't pick up on all that. Um, yeah, I missed yeah. that as well. Yeah, no, that's 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 interesting. But he wasn't really a, a, a necrophiliac, right? That's like what no, the, I, I I may have misspoke. He was a necrophiliac. He was a necrophiliac. The, the film does say that they that they're necrophiliacs, which I didn't see that at all. No, oh, she she's a she's a uh, nymphomaniac. nymphomaniac. Can't stop having sex. Yeah. Having sex though, yeah. right? Well, it's implied. She's fucking the guy. What was his that name? Be, Christian. Right. Well, I mean, and he then, was up there for like a minute. Like, did they just bust one real quick? Like, no. In the beginning, when, in the, when beginning. the guy's walking over the dunes and he sees them, she's got her shirt the off. Arm guy on the beach, and then she puts like the scorpion or something on it. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he comes by later to see if she wants to go and have tea with him. So and then she, the dude, she just using him for his money? Is that the idea? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay, but uh, she doesn't fuck the old guy. The the. Uh, uh, I think he wants to the though, Robert wind down to him and he just, yeah. he just like swears her head off. He doesn't give a fuck. He's like, yeah, he even says, he even says, you're not my type, honey. Oh, yeah. that guy was amazing. I'd awesome. smash it like a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how do you not laugh at that guy? He's so, yeah, so hilarious. Guys like that. Okay. Um, uh, man, 
What was I going to say? I was going to say, oh, side note, and then we'll get back to the conversation. I don't know why, but I have a real problem, and I and I ran into this problem in Paris, Texas, with French actresses who who don't speak English too well. I, I don't know why. Like Paris, Texas, the the wife of of the brother, like everything she said felt so inauthentic to me. Like I couldn't get past it. Same thing happened in this film. Like I just can't get past French actresses who speak English. I don't know why. Yeah, she just hates French people. Yeah, what's up? I mean, there's, there's more. You were expecting pitch perfect English? Just some, it was, you know. I don't know what it is. It's like, there's something, there's a barrier there with their performance for some reason. Like, I I can't see past their, their performance. I I don't know why. Like her, for, for me, like her performance was very distracting. Um, I couldn't get. She was hot. That was already distracting. (laughs) Catherine, your new sister, she's smoking. I mean, she's prettier than Catherine Deneuve, in my opinion. Um, no, I, I, I didn't. I didn't distract her. Uh, when at the top of the show, I I, I mentioned that I uh, I discovered a masterpiece example of how to thrust your audience into a story, and I was referring mm. to this. How cool is it that that we don't know who these guys are, and it seems like we're just driving down this road, but then it, it's revealed that this is guy pushing this car. I don't know. This whole first half hour of the film felt so interesting to me. I didn't know what was going on. Um, all the way to the point where the car, where we cut back to the Irishman, the Irish guy for the first time. And, and he's like kind of waking up and coming to the fact that he's like in the ocean, <laughs> the car is yeah. like drowning. That yeah, was- it's cool that the road got covered with the tide. I like that. I want to know how they filmed all of that. They probably just they- filmed it at the, at the Lindisfarne castle. Yeah. Uh, and that happens right during yeah. times a day, the whole road disappears. Mm-hmm. See that's so cool. I I love that. that yeah, they, what they bring the car out there, like, and just yeah. There's that. a uh, there's a very famous castle in France that does that too. I can't think of the name of it right now, but I'll think of it later. But yeah, the, when the tides shift, you can access and then not access the the castle. It was a, it was an old school tactic of keeping yourself safe. Interesting. That's but yeah, cool. that that whole intro taught me the value of not setting your audience up, not f- like you know, like not spoon feeding them but rather just kind of thrusting them into an already in motion adventure um there was like a movie before this movie that we're never going to see yeah yeah Yeah. i'd like to see that movie yeah because it was like a waiting (laughs) for godot element you know we're waiting we get somebody on the phone or the dumb it was a dumb waiter or something probably more like the dumb waiter and i'm like maybe they robbed a place well that that dude uh that dude uh lionel strander stander yeah yeah he uh he was in he was in one of the renditions of of Beckett's Waiting for Godot, and so was um, someone else in the film. I think the Irish yeah, guy. No, the other Jack McGovern. He's uh, known for that. He worked with Beckett directly. He's uh, oh. yeah. He's uh, so clearly the the impetus of this film was was probably Waiting for Godot because I, I did read that Polanski went to get permission from Beckett to actually do Waiting for Godot, and he was like, no way. So. This might be Lansky's sort of crazy version of Godot because they're waiting for the boss. Yeah, to arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, was anybody else disappointed when the intro was like a Saul Bass intro and then it never went anywhere and the ending uh, of the movie was terrible? What's the Saul Bass intro? So, oh man, you have to watch uh, the original. I think it's Psycho. The Oceans movie, yeah, but it's this very intricate animated way of doing intros because prior to George Lucas in 1977, 
you did a lot of the uh, the cast and crew updates up front. And so remember in, in Court Gesture where he actually sings what they did? Mm-hmm. It was a way of keeping people interested because prior to that, they would just show, you know, you know, costume designs. All the credits would be up front and people would not pay attention. So in order to get them to pay attention and like pick people's names out, this guy, Saul Bass, created these like wonderfully animated that told a story of the movie, kind of like an overture for a symphony before the movie. So Google Saul Bass, and I'll I'll throw that out to our listeners too. Saul Bass is a fantastic animator and and director. I think there's a short uh, short on Criterion Channel about him. Yeah, I think so. Ari Aster did that with Midsommar bit. He sort of told the whole fairy tale in in images of Mm -hmm. what this film was going to be. So what do you mean it didn't really go anywhere? What, like where so like i was so excited to see kind of that style of filmmaking again of like the story but like how does the movie end donald pleasance goes out on a rock and he waits the tide to die as his wife goes off with that dude and like it 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 doesn't go anywhere that guy dies that that should have been the end of the movie yeah that's why that's why i sort of said that it, it wasn't fully actualized this film yeah because it's it sort of just like like I think where it really started to lose its steam is where they go down to the beach and there's like that really long scene and it's like kind of meandering and nothing really it's like they get really drunk. Were, yeah. yeah. But I think they were actually drunk. I was like <laughs> watching their acting and I'm like, these guys are actually drunk and we're just watching this like improv mess. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's what it was because they um Plancy only had one day to film that scene. And so yeah. they kind of like went for it, and yeah, they not, got trashed. Maybe, yeah, maybe I don't know. Yeah, That's why did she, she goes into the ocean, and then they're just kind of like that was an opportunity right there when when the two men are left alone for us to really get to to understand like why this um, why Donald Pleasant's character was so eccentric, what the secret's all about. Yeah, and it's kind of hinted at, but nothing is not nothing really is said there. Yeah, I one thing that bothered me in this movie was the ending where like this dude takes like a three point blank shots to the gut somehow manages oh, yeah. to walk all <laughs> the way down this hill of this castle to his car to pull out his Tommy gun gets <laughs> you didn't think that was funny up. no I just was like what is that like this is ridiculous and then like they come down the hill for some odd reason and they're like oh no you're gonna Shoot me, and he's like, "I'm gonna shoot you," and then he just dies. Shoots the car, and the car explodes for no reason. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it's just like a whole <laughs> sure, yeah. mishap. And I just, uh, I, I, this movie just did not do anything for me. Okay, was it not funny? Yeah, this is maybe the funniest part for me. And I, when it cuts back, to, I know I already mentioned it. When it cuts back to the the Irish guy, what's his name, Paul? Uh, Jack McGovern. But Donald? You oh, mean no. Albie, who's played Albie? Yeah, the one who's dying. Uh, yeah, Jack McGovern, yeah. Yeah, it cuts back to him, uh, and he realizes that, he, that he's, you know, in the predicament he's in. He's like, I've got a problem here. I've got a problem here. Yeah. You know, it's just the way he delivers <laughs> yeah. that line yeah. is so funny. Oh, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess ultimately we kind of all agree that it, this film had lots of potential, but it wasn't fully found. Um, I will say that Plansky has a has a solidified voice, though. It's it's mm-hmm. it's nice when you can find an, a director where you can watch his film 
and you're like, oh, this is Polanski. Like, this, it, it's very much a Polanski film. Um, I will, I will offer that. I like Polanski a lot, and I've still only seen like maybe half his films. I'm going to bring Knife in the Water into the catalog. Yes, and it's okay. on YouTube. So, yes. So I have I have a question, and this is a question I think probably only for Paul. Uh, this movie very much could have been Straw Dogs. Yeah, well, uh, it's funny you mention that because yeah. Straw. See what I. It's funny because Straw Dogs for years was my movie, my go-to, and so this predates it by um, a couple of years, six, seven years. Yeah. I mean, okay, and there. It was a very clear emasculation of mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman. Uh, I don't know if, you know, Susan George, I found, uh, I can't even pronounce this girl's name, in cul-de-sac, uh, a little more attractive. But there was, uh, but I loved, uh, because you go through an arc with Dustin Hoffman's character, I'm on board with it. Plus, Sam Peckinpah yeah. is directing it. So you're watching a guy completely emasculated who's at his wit's end and finally stands up for himself. We're here. It wasn't necessary, but I guess but, in a way, you know. But, I mean, maybe I was just seeing it through the lens of that, of just, like, you literally have this person breaking into your house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, he's going to go after the wife, and just we're going to see Donald Pleasance come up. But was that? No, I, I agree. It seemed like it, it, it had a potential for that straw dog. Um, have you seen straw dogs yes yes of course oh oh well you can you can leave you can leave the james marston one on, on the trash that one's fine no yeah the Hoffman one's really nuts. yeah yeah disturbing um no that's a good point it did it did have that setup to be something like that but ultimately it was just a comedy that, yeah that didn't make aaron laugh aaron uh you didn't speak much on this one uh just bring us home if you have any any uh, additional comments as, as to why this movie sucked or if you're good you're good uh, uh you know yeah i i think i've already said my piece i, I just wasn't impressed um i just was kind of agitated with the story and i know it's kind of built into this guy's character but i was just like wanting him to just you know stand up for himself grab a gun like take control of the situation you know you're just letting this guy run run the whole show well that's the idea though that's the that's who he was he was yeah incapable of that That yeah i just i don't know i just didn't i didn't enjoy it i understand how annoyed you were with him because like i said i was very annoyed with his character the whole time (laughs) you know what also happened here is i had a very strong intuition that i think he he was actually drunk for most of this movie really um i felt that way and i don't know maybe i'm wrong i don't know if there's accounts of what he was like on set but i oh you mean in real life in real life for the movie i felt i was watching an actor just lost in his alcohol and not really i don't know I, I could be you know completely he wrong. Up, he showed up to the set with the shaved head, and that wasn't uh, asked by Polanski. So he did that on his own, and Polanski supposedly was okay with it. He was like, "Oh, that's interesting," but he didn't. He wasn't supposed to have a shaved head. That was all him. So maybe he was drunk. <laughs> I don't know. I, it seemed like it, and I just uh, that kind of bothered me. I just felt like I was watching a nonsensical drunk actor kind of play this. I don't know. Yeah. Is this the I just, first Polanski film, Aaron? 
Rub me wrong. Um, no, Rosemary. Well, yeah, you didn't watch Rosemary. Yeah, you didn't watch Rosemary. <laughs> it is my first one. Then I need to watch Rosemary's Baby, or do I? Well, I don't know. I think yeah. you should. I think it's. A- I know you guys. Maybe I'll jump into that one. But yeah, this one. It is slow. I will say. I that. watch the piano at some point. Polanski is the master. <laughs> I know he's super famous. What is he the master of? He's the master of tension, of just like building tennis. Yes. I didn't feel tension else. in this movie though. No, because this is a comedy. It's sort of unlike un- well, uh, there's, okay. there's there's a sort of isolated tension building because they're all stuck. You know? Yeah. yeah. I just wanted like an a, another character to come in and kind of save it. Like I wanted his whoever he was waiting for to yes, come in me too. bring it somewhere. And I just I, oh God, it just kind of fumbled. Think, the ending think, was just I think there were elements in this similar to my own private Idaho where this felt like an auteur sort of kind of just like playing and trying to create something wholly unique and and, and maybe they both failed in some way, but I think Polanski did a much better job of it than Gus Van Zandt. Um, Hey guys, that wraps it up. Our winner is Amelie by a long shot. Uh, mm-hmm. she, so Amelie goes up with the likes of Cries and Whispers, Wings of Desire, and being John Malkovich. So those are our four champions so far, guys. Yeah. Good movies, nice. yeah. Um, let us uh, do our voting now. Let's use that website and do our voting for who wins this oh. selection. Okay, who persuaded you the most? Are we... Yep, just give me just a moment. All right, don't hit it yet, right? Do we do anything yet? Okay. This is cool, guys. I like this website. Good find, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, this is sweet. Oh, look at that. All right, so tell us when, Chris. When? When? Oh! He zooms. Oh, shit. Wow, okay. <laughs> Chris is the is the winner big time. All that's right, a good, that's a good right. draft. I voted for Paul. <laughs> uh, I, we, we can't vote for ourselves. I voted for you. Three votes, okay. Chris. You fucking wow. Today, yeah, I think it was the uh, probably your cul-de-sac symbolism. Well, that it was everything else. Everyone probably felt bad for me because I fucked everything else up. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, uh, you made me think that I ranked Fantastic Planet too high. Oh, okay. Uh, you also. What was the other one? Uh, you had great points in Amelie and 45 years. So, yeah, you did well. Yeah, okay. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, great so, all right. Uh, on to our draft, and then Chris will reveal his pick. All right. Let's spin that wheel. All right. You want to here with us? We are going to the spinning wheel of Doth to find out what uh, – what's uh, – Joe? no. Yeah, this is going to be August. Yeah. August. Yeah, so these are the five films for August, starting with A Bright Summer Day. That's uh, from Taiwan, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. Yes. A Bright Summer's Day. A young boy experiences his first love, his friendship, and life injustices when growing up in 1916's Taiwan. Mm. Okay. You want a poster or do you want to move on? And we've upgraded her. Hmm. I like it. That was weird. <laughs> All right, let's remove that and the poster will do it. 
Okie dokie. Just like a quick flash or something. Uh, I mean, I'll flash you. <laughs> flash just real quick. That'll do it. Okay. Oh, bright summer day. <laughs> Considered the best Taiwanese film and a masterpiece of oh, yes. cinema. Do they, is there a lot of competition coming out of Taiwan? I, I actually don't know. That's a great question. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a Taiwanese film. I mean, I've met people from Taiwan. Sorry, real quick. Did they talk about a bright summer day? No, they did not, but this is it, though. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right. All right. Bright summer day. All right. The next. Come on, Pinocchio. Oh, God. Pinocchio. Oh, Virgin Ooh. Spring, I knew it. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are we all going to cry? Is that what you're talking about, Paul? No, no, no. It's good. It's, good. it's a Bergman film, so it's going to be Bergman. Thanks, man. Yeah. I like it. Uh, uh, have, we, have we had Bergman yet? Yeah. Cries yeah. and Whispers. Oh, uh, previous <laughs> champion. <laughs> the Virgin Spring. A 1960 Swedish rape and revenge film directed by Ingmar Bergman. (laughs) Set in medieval Sweden is a tale about a father's merciless response to the rape and murder of his young daughter. Is this uh, like the original sort of father? This is the diehard, right? The diehard for every rape movie, uh, revenge, rape, revenge movie. This is the diehard, right? Exactly. Oh, Oh boy. With Max von Sydow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Religiously conflicted. So, yes, it's good. Oh, boy. Let's get a uh, quick share of that. Damn. (laughs) It was funny. (laughs) Ingmar's Uke from Callen. I think you... uh, Oh, did I not? Did I fuck it up? Well, I did. There we go. Yeah, that looks probably the original poster. I'm sure they've yeah. got their version since then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Mm, back to the wheel. Move that. Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Phase four. Four. Wow. This wow. This one looked intense. Yeah, this yeah. one looks really intense. Is this, uh, is this a horror? Phase four, desert ants suddenly form a collective intelligence and begin to wage war on the inhabitants of the world. Yeah, it is up to two scientists and a stray girl they rescue from the ants to destroy them. Wow, this is like the opposite of uh, Fantastic Planet. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of like Fantastic Planet vibes. The ants well, are di- hey, directed Saul by Bass. Saul Bass. Saul Bass, that's why, uh-huh. that's why I made the list, so it's good. Wow, that's it's incredible. Good. Careful what you wish for, Chris. Dude, it. man, yeah. I'm gonna. Wow, that poster. So it's yeah. like birds, but the ants. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's go back to the wheel. It's 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 shaping up to be an intense month, boys. Let's 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 hope for some uh, levity on Pinocchio. This. Pinocchio. Oh, Pinocchio. So we've we've got just just for my own thing, we have one more uh, version. One more. Okay. One more. The night. Oh my God. This is a fucking dark month. 
Yeah, this is it right here. Paul just added this uh, oh, weeks ago. This is oh, I I was the genre I believe was erotic horror. Yes. Ready for this? <laughs> After a chance meeting in a hotel in 1957, a Holocaust survivor, Lucia, and her Nazi officer, Max, who tortured her, resumed their sadomasochistic relationship. What have you done to us, Paul? I know. Jesus. It's, just, it's Charlotte Rampling. You'll love it. Christ. Oh. No. <laughs> then we'll get into Come Isabel Huppert movies. What is this? So we have a revenge-fueled father <laughs> uh, revenging his raped daughter. We have a uh, sadomasochistic relationship between um, uh, Nazi. Red Ant Revenge. Oh, my film. God. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, you could have a Dirk Bogard film festival. And, you know. Wow. Oh, my God. All right. So yeah, once again, so once again for me, what are the what are the four films? Um, the Night Porter, the Night Porter, Phase Four, Phase mm-hmm. Four, a Bright Summer Day, Bright Summer's Bright Day. Summer Day, and The Virgin Spring. I mean, let's keep it dark. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go Akira. Ooh. Ooh, another animation film. Yeah. So I'll pull up the the plot. It's the it's our first and only anime on the list. Yep. True anime. And it is uh, arguably, and this is going to, you know, once we upload this, this is going to be a very divisive opinion. It's the best anime, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Akira. What's it about? Oh, sorry. I didn't give you the, the synopsis. Let me go back. So, Akira. A secret military project endangers Neo-Tokyo when it turns a biker gang member into a rampaging psychic psychopath who can only be stopped by two two teenagers and a group of psychics. Yeah, so what was that month that we had that was super dark? It was like... (laughs) That was April. Yeah. (laughs) What else was in that month? Uh, El Topo. El Topo. Oh, yeah. Um... Uh, a woman under the influence. Woman under the influence. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna? Are, is this? Is August gonna be darker than April? Hey, it's it's mine and Yoshi's birthday month. Let's get sad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Oh boy. I think uh, uh, Aaron's, spread Aaron's, these out. Aaron's gonna bring a whole lot of fours and fives. <laughs> <laughs> no, Akira. Akira will get a, a nice seven from him. Okay. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. I'm excited. All right. Um, guys, thanks for uh, sticking with us. We, we, I know we ran long today because of the technical difficulties, so thanks for hanging in mm-hmm. there. Thanks, as always, to Chris for uh, running the show. And um, we will see you in August. Yes. Spay new to your pets. Do we have a date we're going to look at? Every three weeks, I think we've been doing so. Three weeks from today is one, two, so August 9th. August 9th. If we keep doing three weeks, we're eventually going to run into the first of the month, though. Right? We'll only do the third week of the month, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so the third week of the month. August 16th. August oh, 16th. August. Julio? When's your birthday? Julio. When's your birthday? August 2nd. Okay. Eight, two. When's yours, Yoshi? 25th. 
All right, let's sign off. All right, guys, thanks so much. Cinemaniacs logging out. Bye. 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 <laughs> what was that?